Welcome to this week's episode of the Human Enhancement Podcast, formerly known as The Thinking Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Wu, and really excited to have Tim Cannon with us today. If you might not know who he is, he's the co-founder of uh, Grinder Wetwear, Grindhouse Wetwear, uh, one of the leading groups uh, developing technologies around implants and, and you know cybernetics that can be embedded into humans. Um, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, you know uh, it's been I, I've actually kind of followed this a little bit, but not not as much as I'd like. As we're discussing a little bit before going live here, the umbrella term of biohacking covers so many different groups and communities and efforts. I would say that you know we use the term biohacking in you know in our community around optimizing one's performance, you know, optimize one's biometrics, and I would say a very big uh, branch of biohacking is what are called grinders. Uh, I, I guess you know. Going, going to the to the to the name of your of your of your company, um, folks that are building devices that are directly implanted into the human body. I would say a third group, if you will, would are, are people that are genetically engineering with CRISPR other technologies, uh, you know, organisms. Uh, but I think everyone is sort of in the same suitcase term, barring you know one of the terms that you were mentioning around using engineering techniques on biology, which I think is the underlying thread amongst all these different efforts here. Um, I'm curious, your perspective on when people talk about biohacking to you, is that a similar response or how do you think about the different efforts here? Um, I think that biohacking in general is, um, I think that what it what it mostly has in common is, is the same thing that, that it has in common with, with all forms of hacking, right? Um, I've, I've said this a, a lot, is that, Hacking is coming to understand a system, right, so that you can then uh, use it in a way other than that which it was designed or anticipated to be used. Um, and I think that, that when you look at biohacking from that, when you look at hacking from that perspective, then it becomes pretty clear that you can hack anything. And so when you talk about biohacking, it's simply coming to understand the body and biology in general so that you can use it in ways that are other than it, it's anticipated to be used. Right. Um, and I think that there's also kind of a common thread of um, kind of being frugal and wanting it to be something that comes uh, to the masses right. and that, that, that engages people in, in a sort of citizen science as well. I think that there tend to be a lot of those. There's very few people that I, I that I know that call themselves biohackers that are like, don't try this at home. <laughs> like most, yeah. of them, most of them are like, try this at home and tell us your results because <laughs> you know, we're never going to get funding to do this research. You know what right. I mean? For whatever reason, you know, uh, if you can find an ampokine that, um, you know, ma makes you makes you have better long-term memory, right. uh, you better also find a way to relate it to Parkinson's disease or you're just not allowed to do whatever you want to do, you know? Right. But I think the tide is turning. I mean, I think the way I think about it is looking at this community as the modern version of the homebrew computing club, right? In the 70s and 80s, you had people tinkering on silicon, tinkering on computers, people on the hardware side, people on the software side, people putting everything together. And I think no one really knew uh, what, you know, an Atari that made beeping noises could do. But that was that, you know, that same creative hacker spirit that like took... Uh, a beeping, you know, terminal 
into now you know computing runs the entire world and I, right. I i have the same hope and i think a lot of us in this community have the same hope around biohacking really changing what humanity uh looks like in the in the coming years and i think especially the work that you're doing Absolutely. literally in planning hardware into the body is at the cutting edge of that so how'd you get into this how'd you get into grind in, in, into the grind grinder world i know you're a software developer by training and, and so am I. So I studied computer science at Stanford. I'm curious to hear your, your trajectory going from uh, a normal human to now a, a cy cyborg. What, how has that journey come to place? Um, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been pretty nerdy and uh, I, uh, you know, played tabletop role playing games uh, okay. as a kid. Um, and, uh, of course, right. Like, like many other nerds. And, um, one of the ones I played was, uh, called Shadowrun. and Shadowrun is a cyberpunk focused, uh, one where, and, and I can remember at the back of the rule book, there was just this list of, of cyberware is what they called it. And you could just get things installed and there were little rules around it and you could enhance yourself in all these different ways. And it was like a little menu and it allowed you to be so unique, but, uh, so, customized to what your character found interesting or desirable and i just thought man to be able to do that sort of thing would be amazing to be able to just kind of say you know i don't i don't like this limitation right. and i think that because i was getting into it so young it made me just naturally kind of look at the human being not as at the pinnacle of evolution but really more something that is just as handicapped as any other uh, animal in the animal kingdom and kind of bound to its own devices. And so as I got kind of uh, older, um, I started uh, after getting into software and, and and starting to do a lot of that, some software podcasts led me to Ray Kurzweil and the Singularity, which then led me to these two Aussie gentlemen uh, that did a podcast called Hive 45. Um, and now, uh, one of them is a politician in, in Australia working for the science party and, and proponent of, uh, implantable chips and stuff. They showed me that there was this, this girl left anonym, uh, in, in, in Scotland who put a magnet in her finger and she could feel electromagnetic fields. And basically just like, as soon as I heard that, it was kind of like, it's on. We've, we, we can add something. We can add something real and tangible to the, to the sensory experience at an intuitive level. It's, it's on. The, yeah. the revolution has started and nobody called me. And so um, at that point, I'd heard about that in um, uh, April. And by May, I had a magnet in my finger. I mean, I went and I, I called my friend. Uh, like two days later, I called my friend who owns a tattoo shop. Says, is there anybody in Pittsburgh that does implantation level stuff she gave me the name of a guy we came up with a technique he had never heard of anything like this before uh i filmed that and put it out on youtube and then a bunch of biohackers kind of got got me in and said hey you know th there's a whole scene of us and we're really just kind of looking for something to do but we don't really know how to do that stuff and because of my experience in software and particularly new products development and also in process, right? So this is where it gets a little boring, but I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big process nerd as well. So I'm agile methodologies and scrum methodologies. Yeah. So I just said, why don't we treat this like a project? Like instead of like a hippie drum circle or a hackathon, let's treat it like a project and let's come to a common goal. And that's where we started. We, we just collected up a bunch of people who were willing to work and started moving down the field. 
Um, one little piece at a time. Iterative development. That's what wins the day. That's how the revolution that you alluded to earlier won the day. It was just a lots of hours and lots of pissed off spouses because the others <laughs> time in the garage on something that they don't understand. Right. Right. And this sort of thing. And then that's what that's what revolutionized the world we live in. Right. That's awesome. So what are the current projects? Uh, you know, are, are you do you have anything in you right now? Like what show off your specs? <laughs> yeah, so, um, I have uh, I have my I have a lot of magnets right now. I have a magnet here that was used for I had the North Star here, North Star version one uh, that's been removed to make room for the second version, mm -hmm. which is coming shortly ish. But uh, we're kind of spread a little thin right now. And, and that um, capability that, gave you, this was the bio, the blood biometrics, right? This was like blood glucose? Um, that's what we're working okay. on next. So okay. that is actually kind of in the works and coming. So this one was basically, well, the North Star one was just, it was just simply a light that was a circuit to kind of prove a point and say, hey, we can, on a hacker budget for ridiculously cheap, we can build something that is safe and um, tested, and we can take it the whole way through a real testing process. We got an independent lab to test it, that sort of thing. And so it was about kind of proving where the grinder scene was and what kind of level of complexity was was possible. Um, while, I mean, if you're as an engineer, I'm sure you know, like minimum viable, viable process, product, yes. right? And then you move on to the more complicated stuff because right. if it's if it's broken once it's complicated, you're There's a million wires that you got to trace down. Yep. If it's broken here, right, where you're just proving your concept, there's so few wires that you can trace down the problems real quick. And that's exactly what happened. The very first version of the North Star was implanted here. And within seven hours of implantation, and there's seven of us got them. Um, and we were on opposite sides of the world. I was in Germany. And then there was a group of three of us in Germany and three of us in um, Pittsburgh. And we all got North Stars implanted, and within seven hours, they started failing one by one. We'd get like pings and what's happening, what's happening, we don't know. Um, turned out. And this was like an implant that like glowed and, and had lights. Okay. Yeah, and then you could run, you basically would run a magnet over it, and it had a, like a small magnetism sensor that ran at extremely low power. And if it detected that uh, a strong magnetic force, it would just light up for 10 seconds. And go back into deep sleep modes and, and a huge power saving mode. Um, we, I mean, we immediately ran into the lab. We worked furiously for like 120 hours straight, like sleeping in shifts, trying to figure out what the hell happened. Um, this is already implanted under your skin. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, crap, this thing's like yeah. bugging out. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. well, that didn't, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, once that happened, um, we, we got back to the lab, we figured out what was the problem and, and immediately kind of started up again. But, um, yeah, so I mean, uh, but the North Star two is going to have, um, we'll, we'll gesture recognition and it'll be beginning to start using our machine learning and AI backends, right. For pattern recognition. So basically, um, it has is wirelessly rechargeable and it has Bluetooth low energy. And then you tap it and it begins to glow. And as the glow dims out, you have that much time to do a gesture in midair. And then you can train the gestures to then kick off behaviors. 
right? So you can picture like going like this and like this, and then an Uber comes and takes you home, right? Or like this and then this, and it arms the security system of your house. Um, basically the adding some real functionality. If Northstar one was just like a proof of concept MVP, a a toy, if you will, like, Hey, I have a cool little sensor that lights up. This actually gives you, uh, some, some real capabilities, some, you know, six sense type stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, um, in addition, there would be a bunch of weird modalities that, that it could like intercommunicate with, um, the phone and things like that. Um, and, and that was, that was all that's, uh, that's, that's at its end. We're still in, uh, the testing phase of that. So at any given time, you have to kind of be in various phases of various projects. Yep. Um, so right now that's entering its testing phase and, and that sort of thing. Very cool. Yeah. We got to see that live when you guys are ready to, you know, to, yeah. to share, to show it off. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting. So, um, I guess I've been sort of a RFIDs, by the way. Yeah, I also have some RFIDs. I have, okay. Uh, this one, if you scan it, it'll take you to my Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think you know why why yeah. why stop at convenience? I can automate my arrogance. It's awesome. <laughs> and um, this one will uh, open the door at my uh, local hacker space. So okay. Hackersburg, uh, which is the best hacker space in the entire world, um, and. Uh, yeah, it'll open the door there. They they wired me in uh, to the to the badge system. Nice, because I, I I always forget my badges. I was like, just just stick it in me. Hey, can you do my hand, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I was about to just say that I've been a quasi cyborg in the sense that I've used um, you know t- you know implants or or sort of pseudo implants that go on top of your skin but there is like a probe that tracks blood glucose so i'll have that in my system for two weeks at a time to have a continuous glucose tracking system on my body and i think that's like a very uh i guess temporary you know version of something that i I know you're working on in terms of like an implantable continuous glucose monitor that tracks a bunch of different biometrics and especially for folks looking to obviously uh, track blood sugar for diabetes or other metabolic syndromes or people looking to be more optimal or more productive during a work day obviously blood sugar or even you know a measure like blood ketones are super interesting measures i'm curious um how do you look at or what is sort of the thinking around um implants or technologies that let you understand your own system better like a blood glucose or a blood ketones and functionality that extends uh human experiences we had neil harbison uh the guy with the antenna on a couple uh weeks ago and and i mean i think it's like we're in general we're just adding functionality to humanity sounds like you know neil is focused on adding new senses where i guess my interest is more about understanding my own performance and knowing how to tweak that sounds like you're doing you know a bit of both i'm I'm curious uh absolutely i'm absolutely doing both right so like when it comes to, and it's not just about understanding the things that you know how to look for either, right? Um, when I started messing around with neural networks and, and artificial intelligence uh, and machine learning frameworks, um, one of the things that was the most interesting to me was not the things that you could do from what's called supervised learning. And I don't know where you're, uh, how, how familiar you are yep. with, with space, but um supervised so, so, yeah so you have to like a human needs a tag and say hey this is a cat this is like not a cat 
Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's supervised yeah. learning algorithms where you're basically saying, telling it the right answer and you're teaching it. Yeah. Um, but then there's like the kind of thing that, that other, you know, that you're, that all other brains can do, you know, in, in pretty much everywhere in the animal kingdom, which is to kind of slowly become aware of patterns. Yep. Right. Um, and that sort of thing. Uh, even if you don't exactly understand all of the factors of that, you can begin to start to look at things on how close they are to how closely they cluster right. on uh, various dimensions of, of, of analysis. Yep. And so it's kind of interesting is to me, what, what's going to be really interesting is as we get people that are taking these devices and they're, they're starting to measure more and more deeply, right? Like, so we came up with a technique for uh, low resolution uh, photospectroscopy right, to do kind of like really low resolution chemical analysis of the blood and tissues. Right. It, um, and it's super energy cheap and, and this sort of thing. Um, and once you start to get this huge base of people in this huge data set, you can begin to traverse it for things that you didn't know were there. And that's the stuff that I'm very, I'm really, really interested in are the things that I don't know are affecting me but definitely are right this is like the um, population level like metabolomics or or, or, or precursors to cancer right like if you just have so much data that is ambiently picked up and you just start seeing outcomes can a machine learning algorithm be like hey you're starting to show patterns in your biometrics that are precursors to disease or precursors to being you know a productive you know more healthful person right like it can go both ways yeah and, and and like, I mean, even weird, interesting kind of um, things like um, outbreaks of things that don't have prevalent symptoms, but are propagating through populations. Right. Right. Because there are definitely like, um, you know, pathogens and things that, that can have low symptoms and, and stuff like that that can propagate. I mean, just interesting stuff like that or or how people's, you know, food sourcing is affecting them and, and in ways that they couldn't possibly know about and, and this sort of thing. So not just intentionally optimizing yourself, but uh, automating optimization to some degree um, and, and finding finding those things and even finding the um, consequences of solving those problems, right? Which then becomes even more interesting, right? Like, yeah, no, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... When, what do you do when you learn to mitigate all stress and you can basically, you know, route people away from their stressors and still keep society productive? Is that good for the robustness of that particular species or not? You know, um, because there's an importance in, uh, I mean, in terms of biological life, there's an importance in being robust, right? Um, and that sort of thing. And so sometimes optimize it really means local minima, right? And what are you, what are you optimized for? Because the crocodile is optimized for survival, brother. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean, and and uh, and we're not even close to as optimized for living as a crocodile is. Because they've we've got like what 150,000 years under our belt. They got like a, millions of years. You know what I mean? They'll eat a chicken a month and just be cool, right? They yeah. live through multiple climate change patterns. You know. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. Like technology. And sort of the, a lack of a natural selection where, you know, we have so much, you know, baseline medicine and technology to keep, you know, ne not necessarily like optimized for survival of humans alive and procreating, right? Like everything is being passed on, 
which you know is great because the more more and more people have you know a, a, a life that they can live and enjoy but in terms of a species level optimization um i, I think that's like a very interesting question right that opens up a huge can of worms with uh, you know eugenics versus like all of that obviously you know that's going to be a lot more of a touchy subject but i think it's a you know a question that's worth asking right like how Absolutely. do we want to be evolving and pushing our, our limits as, as a species if we're not thinking about it thoughtfully then the default is like you're getting you're just pro you're propagating every single gene and, and characteristic whether good or bad yeah right. i mean that's the thing i mean you know, eugenics is kind of obviously a dirty word because of the way in which it was was implemented but i think the overarching inspiration for eugenics has its heart in the right place in every way which is to say that we can look at ourselves as a species and we're one of the first species to truly be able to do this is to look at ourselves as a species and recognize our fundamental weaknesses and instead of believing you know that we can just think our way out of these problems and, and we'll, we'll, we'll fix it, we can actually start looking at it in an objective way and figure out what, are, and, and, and take an evidence-based approach on what is actually capable of fixing it. I've been, um, I've been giving a speech um, uh, across a couple of different conferences recently, um, and it's called The Moral Imperative of Biohacking. And it basically says, it basically posits that human beings are an invasive species. Now, right now in, in Pennsylvania, uh, we have this thing called the emerald ash borer beetle. Okay. Um, and it is um, just eviscerating forests, right, and, and and this sort of thing. Now, if you were to ask the emerald ash borer beetle, like, you know, why, why are you – you're eating yourself out of house and home. Do you not understand that? From its perspective, it would be like, what are you talking about, man? I got no no known predators in this area, and there's food everywhere, and we're everywhere. I'm just we're all trying to live, yeah. Right, and yeah, and so clearly we're winning. Yeah. Because look at how many of us there are, and we're all eating, right? And they don't understand, and it's all top hats and monocles, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And brandy. Yeah. And then the next thing they know, the forest collapses, and they starve to death, right? Now, does that sound like anybody else to you? Yeah, right, um, yeah. you know, and 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 this sort of thing, all right? Of us. <laughs> all of us, and so that tends to be the kind of thing where I say, okay, we have a moral imperative to look at ourselves and understand that that maybe there are things at work, natural patterns at work that uh, are above individuals, right, and don't really can't really be thought about in that way. The classic example is is libido. Right. Um, you know, right now our libido is set to ice age. You know, we're trying to outbreed glaciers that don't exist and an infant mortality rate of 25 percent. Sure. If you took away both of those things, you'd probably expect to see like eight billion people out of nowhere. Right. right? Within the space of a tiny geological you know, frame. Um, so I think that and that has nothing to do with individuals because every individual feels like they're making a choice right. and that that's something that they want to do. But clearly if they were capable of thinking of it rationally and looking at what kind of damage that's doing, right. That, you know what I mean? They, they would be like, Oh no, I don't want to do this anymore at all. This is crazy. We got to right. stop 
between this. Like it's, you know, so um, there's parts of us that are still very much an animal. And, um, and I think that that's the, the, the noble pursuit of biohacking is the ability to um, think out of our own context for a second, right? Like be a meta being and be like, okay, let's look at ourselves as a, and a, as, as a species and see how we're impacting the environment. Absolutely. Like, and, and yeah. And like not take it like a personal thing around like, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, dialing, you know, myself up and down or, or whatnot. It's just like, what are the objective facts of how our species is impacting our environment? Which I think is a, is like, I think a, yeah, it's a thoughtful way to approach things, right? Like, again, like, I think it's kind of, I think maybe perhaps from the engineering mindset where it's like, you're not very, you know, of course there's passion, but like, if you just step back dispassionately, how do you just analyze the situation? And you start realizing that some things just aren't sustainable if it's just given the current path. Yeah, exactly. And and once you start looking at them that way, then you can you can come up with rational solutions that acknowledge people's need for freedom and liberty and that sort of thing. And you can even acknowledge in an evolutionary context why those things are valuable, right? Why, why those things are, are still valuable to honor and understand. And so you factor those in to your solution, right? right. So for example, like with libido, right? Um, and, and now when I say this, I think uh, people think that I'm talking about implementing it tomorrow voluntarily, but, but like as a hypothetical scenario, right. you can think about Basically, um, making a reversible procedure um, for for uh, preventing people from being able to um, uh, impregnate one another, right? Like, so you think tubes tied or or vasectomy sure. kind of thing that's reversible, and it's just implemented at birth, and you actually have to disable that feature to have a kid, right? How right. vastly would that change the population? overnight yeah. while not taking away any of the freedom that people really want to have. Right. Um, you know, it, I mean, obviously if implemented correctly right. and you know, he's got to worry about like, you know, politics, who gets to choose, who gets to get turned back on all that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I'm curious, like, you know, the pushback from mainstream will be why, why are you playing God? I'm curious what your response to that is. Like, you know, um, well, usually when people ask me that, they say, "What do you mean playing?" Um, but uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but um, that's, yeah. you know, just kind of just because I think that that's such a. Um, I mean, when it's posed seriously, it's I do find it to be kind of like an, an obnoxious question because it's like, when have we not been doing that? Yeah, we've been manipulating ourselves and our environment since the beginning of yeah. our species, right? Like, we have yeah. tools, we have fire, we've been we've been like. Yeah, we've been you, building and, cities. And, yeah, and you can find resistance to it at every level of innovation right. throughout history. My friend showed me uh, a, a journal article from like the 1600s, you know, just decrying the field of optics and how it was just terrible because it was going to give people glasses and they weren't going to have to just accept the way they were and the right. way God wanted them with their shitty eyesight. <laughs> you know, that's such a crazy. Uh, way to look at innovation right. in my opinion, right is to say oh well you're playing god and it's like no i'm i'm playing human yeah I'm, play I'm playing somebody who doesn't like discomfort and will use my brain to try to stop discomfort i mean find me something that isn't trying to stop discomfort absolutely i think it's actually one of the most human characteristics right like we above other animals 
are one of the few species that can manipulate, that can plan, that can work over generations to manipulate ourselves and our environment. So yeah, it, it's probably one of the most fundamental things of being a human is to improve oneself, improve one's surrounding. So I agree with you. It's it's, but I think the danger is that. I think it'll be inevitable that people will be biohacking, people will be implementing. Now it's like, how do we do it responsibly and safely in, in a way that's equitable to people that doesn't like increase, uh, you know, wealth income or access accessibility. So I think it's not a if, it's like, it's a how. You want to be moving towards a more egalitarian society right. and not, not less. And I certainly don't want to participate in anything that would, um, you know, so like, for example, when we very first started and, and started messing around with some of the things that we were messing around with, which was TDCS and then magnet implants and like sensory substitution. So TDCS for folks that don't know are, is basically electro electrical stimulation of the brain, right. which has some, you know, early preliminary data suggesting that could be a way to enhance cognitive performance. Yeah, which which we, we've mostly found to be anecdotal. Right. And we did our own independent studies and we had built some stuff that did sham, what's called sham stimulation right. so that it create a control. And we, we did some early experiments with that and we actually found very little correlation. And in fact, if anything, we actually found a, uh, yeah, in our studies. However, um, that's, that was the fun of fun of kind of doing it. But when we were doing it, um, also DARPA, right. And the air force are also researching that same technology. Right. And so somebody, that was affiliated with Grindhouse got approached by somebody who was affiliated with, with DARPA to kind of liaise something. And we were like, no, we're not interested in, we're not interested in doing anything with, with weaponry or the military or any of that stuff. I'm a veteran. Um, another one of the co-founders of, of Grindhouse is a veteran. We both patriots and we did our service, but we just, we don't, we don't want to be in that space with this stuff. Hmm. It's just not, I don't, I think that there is a huge ethical gray zone right now. Um, and unfortunately philosophers and academics are only now starting to be willing to have the conversations, right? When I was first, when we were first starting doing this, it was no, just, just don't do it. Cause we don't know the stop. Right. And it was like, we're going to work. I'm an engineer. I have to, yeah. Do you not understand how this works? I, if I find a puzzle, I have to put it together, right? It's not, it doesn't work that way. Um, and uh, so I think that, you know, philosophers are just now starting to get to a place where we can start to define uh, some of these spaces. And I'm even trying as hard as I can to drive some of, uh, of that as well with some of the, um, the, the speeches and talks that I'm giving. And just to say, we really need to define this space and we really need to talk it over and the answer can't just be we don't know so stop it yep right the door is out of the box yep yeah i agree it's it's inevitable that this is going to happen i think it's incumbent on us people that are in the community as well as the you know folks that are out there listening regulators too right like everyone like we should have that conversation now i think it looks like it's early but like this is happening, it's going to happen, and we should start thinking about the frameworks now. I mean, I think if you look at the FDA, for example, um, how they legislate drugs uh, or medical devices, these are devices that take people from fit deficient states, sick states, to normal states. 
But what we're talking about here is that, you know, you're adding new functionality, you're enhancing aspects of humanity. So that is not no longer under the purview of a medical device or a therapeutic, but it shouldn't be re legislated necessarily as like a consumer device, like an iPhone either, right? Like it seems like uh, that doesn't quite fit any of those categories. So uh, as you're saying, it's, it's a gray area of limbo. Yeah, I'm not as much of an anarchist as some of my colleagues in, yeah. in biohacking. I mean, like, and I'd be willing to accept um, uh, reasonable legislation and reasonable uh, restrictions, you know, that, that were, um, you know, uh, scaled to the, the level of participation that the person's willing to to engage in right because and also like voluntary self like self-responsibility right if you want to take something risky you understand it you should be able to do it right like that's a very american thing to me right like you want we have a freedom to manage our own well-being absolutely and and i think that there is there's a lot of that i mean and the thing is i think you know it's important that this gets differentiated from medicine medicine is it needs to have that rigor it's not just annoying right because it's it's the you need to have that rigor because you're dealing with sick people who are desperate right and so you can't just like experiment on them and you can't just try stuff and you can't expect sick people to be able to assess their level of risk as rationally as somebody who isn't if you have cancer and somebody's like there's a 10 percent chance this pill will cure you and a 50 percent chance it'll it'll kill you painfully Right. They're like, give me the give me the pill. Right. right. You know, or at least some percentage of them will. And you can't assume that that means that they're completely you, know, you can't prey on sick people. Right. However, the cool thing about the opportunity with with biohacking and enhancement technology is you have this whole host of people who are willing to volunteer to engage in a risky behavior who are, you know, for all intents and purposes, healthy. Right. So they're a nice control, um, at which point you can get this humongously verdant field of data, right, which can then be used responsibly to help medicine without ever having preyed on sick people. Right. And, and so, I mean, it, it only seeks to benefit them, in yep. my opinion, to create these reasonable frameworks. But so far, that has not been forthcoming. <laughs> Well, I think it just like it just like I think politicians are still buried in like the stone ages in, in terms of a lot of regulation that like they still don't really know what I don't know, like digital health, like what is what are genes, right? Like I think I think your, your average congressman and senator is just like, you know, you know, for better or for worse, just like not up to speed on, on the cutting edge. Um, well, probably for, for worse. Let's put it bluntly. Um but, I, but I'm hopeful as our community, our people get more and more interested, as it becomes more and more mainstream, that conversation will happen. And hopefully there's folks like yourself there to help guide the conversation, conversation along. I mean, I think you see, I, I've looked at the legislative path of things like organic foods. It, 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 it's like a very common used term now, but it didn't exist in, I believe, 1980s. It was literally... Uh, a, 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 a group of farmers in California had a notion of having higher levels of farming standards and it and, and that community brought that to the government to the California state government first and then uh, to the federal government and now it's like a, a mandated federal program under USDA uh, to, to have some sort of or, uh, organic certification so I can imagine you know in the coming years there would be a similar sort of enhancement 
kind of framework that guides a lot of this research and, and community activity and hopefully in a way that actually makes sense that's not just like uh this sounds kind of scary and weird don't do it i mean that that will just push everything gray market and black market because it will still happen i mean we just have i mean you're not stopping human progress no no absolutely yeah. not and it would be it would be foolish to to it would be foolish of society to push it to the underground because then um, you basically have kind of two types of people that are going to gain those benefits, right? Immensely wealthy people who are above the law right. and, and, and people who disregard the law will be the only people who are allowed to be enhanced <laughs> with abilities above yeah. other humans. Yeah. I cannot think of a larger nightmare scenario than all the law-abiding citizens basically losing any equality that they have yeah. in comparison to those two. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Um, I think it needs to be, there's a huge need for it to, I think that there, there's, there's a need for it to be its own academic discipline and um, start to go, go a different way than medicine. And right now the only academic frameworks are like philosophy and, um, and medicine and I, I think that it should be its own kind of discipline um, with with overlap, obviously. Yeah. And it seems like that that will, you know, it seems like that is sort of the momentum and direction. I want to get into audience questions. So that's something new that we're doing. Um, you know, we're, we're posting on our different forums and channels, uh, Facebook primarily. So check us out in HVM and uh, the human page for questions. And we got a ton of questions for you, Tim. So um, let's just dive into it. Um, fun one from Joshua Corvinus. Uh, what do you think the most popular consumer augmentations will be? So it sounds like, you know, you've, you've played with, you know, a number of different features. What are the most requested features that people want, people want you to build? I think at the beginning of this, uh, the biggest features that are going to be requested are going to be, um, something like a, a small, um, extremely low profile uh, health sensor, right? Just something that basically can take your your standard medical diagnostics, the thing that the, 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 the five measurements that the nurse takes every time you go into any sort of hospital or doctor's office um, at a high resolution and, and, and obviously like the accompanying software packages and reporting systems and, and, and suggestive curated stuff that comes along with that. I think that that's going to be the thing that really breaks this into the mainstream. Uh, I think once that happens, it'll take the cap off of um, the concept of enhancing yourself. And then once that happens, I think we'll start to see more items in, in that way, particularly with brain computer interface. And so people will want to be able to have a higher level of, of seamless integration with their technology, they'll start to see the the real benefits of kind of beginning to seamlessly integrate with technology in a way that that is uh, intuitive and natural and and fundamental. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that that'll be the direction that it goes. I think that first we need the the health stuff, and not to mention, I mean, just in places with socialized medicine, I mean, something like that put into like thirty percent of your population would save un hold amounts of money. I yeah, mean, I think so. Sir, you, you could, you know, counting it would make it seem like imaginary yeah. numbers. 
Josh actually has a good follow-up question here that I'm going to ask. Um, what do you personally plan on getting next in terms of an implant? I mean, it sounds like you have a couple projects in works. I, I presume those aren't on the top of the list, but... Um... I think, uh, well, my next... Um, my next the, the project trajectory that we've always kind of had is um, a very simple kind of thing to close the cybernetic loop, right? And to say, uh, so basically, you know, the North Star... Two would be active control of digital systems. I can do a gesture. I can make it do things. I can maybe even uh, map like a, a steering wheel to the accelerometer and, and guide drones and whatever. So that's active control of digital systems. That'll be the very next thing I get. Um, then there's passive control of digital systems, which is the biological sensor uh, that we're developing. And that's where you can, the, like, so if your house is too warm, and you got your temperature coming through, you can cool your house down. Automatically, if, uh, passively. Yeah, exactly. Or on That's your cool. way home, if you're super stressed. Huh. And then the final piece, which is the, we're in the very preliminary phases of this, is um, talking back directly to the nervous system from a digital system, right? And so we're starting our first system foray into the nervous system um, and, and beginning to select some of the hardware there and design the experiments. I have a ton of questions from David Ishii, who you actually know, but I'm going to ask a few of them here. And I think one of the basic ones, why implantables instead of wearables? I have a Apple Watch, and there seems to be increasingly uh, more advanced rumors around an optical glucometer that you know will detect my blood sugar through a laser on the, on the watch. So what advantages? Why, why open up my body and stick something in if I can just wear external stuff um i think that um so i i also actually i use it <laughs> got a got a heart rate monitor um i i see i see space for both of them but i can say that um having something integrated into your body as opposed to something that you attach to your body is fundamentally different in the way that you perceive it psychologically and i can say that with absolute certainty uh, having having experimented in a space in in more ways than most people would even be comfortable with, um, and, you know, and so I think that there is something fundamental about for us and what we're interested in exploring is not necessarily just the data, but how integrating with your technology on a fundamental level um, to where it's part of you, right, is um, uh, how that affects the the human psycho psyche and uh, and and what that's like, and so um, I think that that's where where we're really kind of kind of interested in playing is finding out what do these things do to you when they become part of you. So, for example, one of the, one of the better examples is like let's say you know you have this this thing on on your wrist, right? And somebody says, hey. It turns out that that's using a part that's not that's not allowed to be used in and it's got some material in it that you don't that we don't like and so we're going to disable it right we're going to disable this thing on your wrist remotely right well on some level that's that's terrible but what they did was they disabled um an object that you can remove from your body on you now let's say i have this rfid tag and somebody comes up and sets, sets the lock bits on it so that I can never use it again. On a fundamental level, they have violated me, 
not something on me, not something I own, but but me, right? And and I think that that's the the fundamental difference is that once something is integrated into you in, in at that level of integration, um, it changes the way in which you you view it, and it becomes part of you. It's it's an ability that you have, and um, and and for us also um, getting closer to the source and. And not having to deal with, um, you know, loss and and all sorts of other kind of like simple right. kind of things uh, as well, kind of factor yeah. into it. Yeah, I mean that, that that rings true to me. I mean, I think it's like it's early in terms of implantables, but you're just having a lot more degrees of freedom once you start implanting directly into your system. Or so it's just like yeah, maybe early it's it's kind of toy like, but like it, everything starts sort of toy like as you evolve and grow it and increase the functionality. And all this stuff with like glucose, right? Like trying to like figure out how to do lasers through, you know, six layers of skin. It's hard. You could just we, I've looked into it. It's very, very hard. Yeah. And why would you, why <laughs> even, you know, I mean, when we have the technology to do it safely and comfortably, uh, the, the question I have to the, to the wearable people is just like, why do you, why do you care? Just yeah. pick the thing that's the thing that's the best and the easiest. Right. Right. And, and so, you know. Yeah, uh, Christina Bognet has a couple good questions. Um, how do you think about the long-term risks of some of the things you're doing? What ways might excessive optimization or excessive implantation actually backfire? Um, yeah, there's definitely ways in which uh, I mean, it, we can't. I can't say for sure, but um, one of my one of the uh, people we had with Grindhouse for a while. He, he was a uh, he was trained as an EMT. But he had expressed concerns about, well, you know, you could cutting into yourself this often could create uh, more scarring. frequent and, and scarring, and you might end up like throwing um, thrombi and things like that. So you can end up having, you know, problems, circulatory problems. Um, when I did the really, really big one in 2013, um, uh, uh, if, if you haven't seen a picture of that, it, that's a horror show. Um, you know, it's that's 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 grind that's as grinder as it gets. You know, can you, what I mean? can, like, can you explain it? So it was like a big chunk that was. Yeah, yeah. So there, it was uh, it was on my arm here, okay. and and um, basically it was it was. I mean, I don't want to say it was the size of an iPhone, but it was it was large, <laughs> extremely okay. large. Yeah, and um, and uh, it took my temperature, kicked it out over Bluetooth once every five seconds. Um, we wrote some software to like plug it into a thermostat and some stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, when I did that, I found that I had circulatory problems for the first like 45 days. Uh, additionally, whenever I get something implanted that I've designed, right. Um, there's actually a, the more, you know, about this stuff, the more, you know, about what can go wrong. And so I've I experienced, um, psychological trauma in terms of like panic attacks and, um, kind of like really, because it's just, it's scary. I mean, I'm sure the, I'm sure the guys in the spaceships, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, they're like, yeah, this is great. And Larry's a scientist and he designed this rocket and everything's great. And then you start thinking about every time you saw Larry drunk with a lampshade on his head at the Christmas party. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> and those guys, they're all my asshole buddies. What did we do? You know? And so, um, I think that there's some of that as well. I, I can't, picture much beyond then but that's just because it's so it's so new and there's so much about it that 
I think a lot of people are just people who are in the know aren't as in the know as they think they are. Um, when I was in Canada and I was explaining, I was going to put the North Star two in, in me, uh, a very prominent doctor um, who worked for the government and this sort of thing. She was at the hackerspace I was at and she said, um, you can't, you can't, you can't put an implant there. Why not? She was like, you, you'll ruin your hand. It'll, it'll, it'll reject and you'll ruin the hand and it'll compress the blood vessels and everything will be screwed and your, your hand will fall off and it'll be terrible. Right. And all this stuff. And I then basically got home and sent her hundreds of pictures of people with just regular silicone implants in. Right. And to the point where she was like, oh, weird. Okay. Well, maybe, you know, and so. I think that there's so much we don't know about what the body can truly tolerate because we've looked at it in a context of medicine where it's like, if you're here with me right now, you're sick, let's not complicate anything by stretching the skin in, a, in the shape of a star, right? Right. Whereas you, you don't really have a lot of medical practitioners investigating healthy people who have done, except for like maybe plastic surgeons and that's a pretty rigorous field as yeah, well. And, and you also know that pe people can do some crazy work with plastic surgery. So it's, it, yeah, I mean, so it's definitely, I mean, the human body is resilient to a lot of stress in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but I think that is refreshing to just like, you know, it's, and also, you know, refreshing to hear that like, Hey, you're not some like psychopath that I can't relate to. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Like you're taking some risks. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah, if, like, if it's not scary, if it's not scary, then you don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, what we're doing here is is very much uh, has risks involved and we mitigate as many of those as possible. We like I said, we do third party independent lab testing, all, all kinds of other stuff. But at the end of the day, you design this with your dickhead buddies in a basement. And you know what I mean? And you're you're really, you know, you, you got to be <laughs> it's a certain level of confidence. Yeah. That's probably half stupidity, you know? Yeah. But and I think he's. Basically, every creation of humanity is someone's dickhead friend who like made some like had some crazy idea. So that's that's just that's just human nature. Uh, David Ishii sort of has a follow up with uh, sort of the risk side. I think is interesting. So like you know battery leakage. What happens? Um, have you experienced that? Is something that you do you guard against? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's obviously one of the one of the top priorities is making sure that any of the materials that uh, are in these things are, are isolated and that they can, if they do fail, that they fail safe um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, we've never had a battery leak. We did have one, um, we did have one that became disabled and in, in, an, in an unsafe way. Um, and uh, that was really scary. Um, but it was done in such a way that that there was a there was a redundancy that that allowed it that allowed it to be mitigated, but it was it was pretty scary. Um, and uh, but with battery leakage, nowadays we're actually capable um, enough engineers that we can build things that are low power enough that the batteries that we're using the amount of material in them is below the LD fifty mm. of exposure to the to the substance. So um, we're getting to a place where it's definitely not a problem in terms of lethal. Um, however, it would also, it would, it would hurt, it would do damage. Um, but uh, in, in this case, there's actually, because of the small amount, it can't actually muster enough 
force to get through the things that we're encapsulating in. Right. So we've found a way to kind of mitigate that all the way to the point where it will fail safe. But it, it was it, a catastrophic, it, catastrophic failure where everything goes into your system. It's under LD fifty or okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we've, but that was like one of our, our, our top priorities, especially after the, the minor scare that we had. Um, I had a biologist working for me at the time because I, I don't like any of the blood and guts. I, I, I can't never look away. I always look away. I'm not, I'm not a fan. You know, I don't, I mean, people think I like pain. I don't like pain. You know, I'm, I'm uh, so <laughs> I'm just, I'm just really curious. I'm more curious about what the outcome is going to be than I am afraid. So of you pain. sacrifice you know? your body for your curiosity. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, but she was taking pictures um, because she's fascinated about that stuff. So as they removed it, you could see that the the battery was slightly puffed up and mm. and and and, and uh, broken, and she literally uh, like passed out uh, right there in, in the room because she and, and when when she came around, she was like, it wasn't because it was gross. It was because I realized that I helped put something in you that could have potentially killed you, and you're my friend, and you have kids, and you know what I mean. And it just overwhelmed me, and uh, you know so, but. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of it. And, uh, you know, so. Dave has another interesting question. So, um, how, do your implants, have you ever had like damaged implants? Like anything like high powered radio? Uh, have you, I mean, like, can people try to like screw up your implants by like zapping it or something? Have people try to do that? Uh, you know, just. Nobody's, nobody's tried. My friend, um, Mike, uh, had a, um, RFID chip and his buddy, he had kind of dared his buddy to try to like sneak one by him and, and get the lock bits. He said, if you can get the lock bits, you got them. You know what I mean? If you can get them, you okay. give it a try. And, um, but, uh, I mean, I think the potential is going to become, uh, greater, uh, very shortly as we're taking forays into standardized protocols and, and, uh, particularly communication protocols, right? So, Bluetooth low energy and Bluetooth in general, I mean, hacker communities and, 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 you know, hacker BB has, you know, a list of tools for how to exploit those things. And you can find exploit how to's on the internet. And, you know, when I was at DEF CON, somebody attacked my Fitbit, you know, um, while, you know, I was talking to somebody, I was like, what's going on? So, um, I think as we take for a, as we start heading that, that way into these standardized protocols, um, You'll find that that's going to become a risk. Uh, fortunately, um, I grew up, you know, being very, you know, like close to the hacker culture, the security hacker, and kind of black hat kind of hacker uh, culture. And so I'm, I'm relatively aware of how little I know, which means that you need to get a bunch of black hat guys and tell them to tear this shit apart so that I can fix it. Yeah, it seems you know like there will be like an industry, just like there's like security, computer security experts. So it will be cybernetic security experts that 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 seems to be a reasonable evolution of this industry or this space yeah cool i mean i think those are you know it's been an awesome conversation i want to you know wrap this up here like where you know how can people follow you and you know we should definitely you know get get it together again and do another episode when we have uh you know updates or, or new implants to show off so how do people keep keep in touch um, right now, the best way is uh, is uh, same same with you guys. Like, you know, Facebook and um, Grindhouse has a has a Facebook page. We have a 
um, a, a Twitter, and my my Twitter handle is uh, is Tim the Cyborg. Okay. And so I, I post and, and keep my social media relatively up to date. Um, we are going to be taking a four. I'm starting a project um, full time uh, in Australia with a, another grinder from Australia named uh, Meow Meow. He uh, recently um, actually changed his name to Meow Meow, or is that just like some code name? Yes, yeah, no, he did. He changed his name to Meow Meow. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's really cool. He's a he's a biologist, a really smart guy, and he he implanted the uh, opal card into his hand, and uh, so his it's his bus pass, and he can just basically ride public transportation and and this sort of thing. And, and it got him. Members into- are like, what the hell are you doing? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um. Uh, we're we're starting a, a project for um, in in Australia and and seeing how how what that part? goes. And we set, we have some Australian listeners. What part? Where are we going to be? Uh, Sydney. Uh, we'll, we'll be down in Sydney. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, getting kind of like ramped up there and and starting to to build stuff and and that sort of thing. It'll be really nice to be working in uh, working in the cybernetic space and you know being paid instead of it costing me money so, so that'll be a novel experience for me awesome yeah i'm gonna uh, my producer zil reached out and we'll, let's let's keep in touch i mean i think this is a small community and but i think it's a fast-growing community i think just the press the reporters that have been asking about this space and just the growth of our audience i think this is the future so we'll love to keep in touch and, and get updates when you're down in sydney and and, and building the next great implant yeah, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Cheers, Tim. It. We'll talk soon. Cool. That was a fun conversation with Tim. Uh, likable, authentic, realistic guy. I mean, I think that's. Uh, I I think you, you when you hear of people implanting crazy shit into their bodies in the media, like who who are these people? Like why are they implanting weird shit into their bodies? But I think after talking with tim talking to folks like neil uh other grinders out there um i think it's you you can see that these are interesting people that are curious they're really pushing what's known i I could see you know exactly like the homebrew competing club guys or like the early explorers like columbus or cortez maybe not in sort of the evil way they conquered other groups of people but really just like pushing out the the edges of humanity so i'm excited to be part of this community excited to talk to folks like tim um as always if you have questions or suggestions for guests to talk to um please let zill the producer or i know you can find us on facebook to as a great channel to reach us at hvmn HVMN, uh the four letter domain uh which is really really clutch um and then the questions uh, are awesome so we'll be definitely doing that every single time now so probably a day or, or, or a few hours before each live taping, we'll send out uh, a thread with who the guest is going to be, a little bit about their background, and an opportunity to, to give me your questions. Uh, I thought that that was really helpful to tailor the conversation to what you guys are interested in. Um, as always, please subscribe uh, iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, and what? Google. Um, hey, cheers. See you next time.